Welcome to the second official episode of the ProLabs podcast. On this podcast, we talk about fiber optics, relevant news stories, product overviews, discussions over the best networking solutions, and much more. My name is John Eichel, and I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at ProLabs. And joining me here is our co-host, Ray Hagan. Hi, my name is Ray Hagan. I'm the Global Product Line Manager at ProLabs. For this episode, we're going to discuss how the pandemic is putting enormous amount of stress on broadband networks right now, as well as the best solutions and innovations for service providers to properly deal with this ongoing issue. So it's a pretty big topic, John. Um, you know, the pandemic's touched every one of our lives. I know it's touched yours and everyone else out there who may be, may be watching. And, you know, I often wonder, you know, I, I, I certainly am not bandwidth hog in my household. Uh, we, you know, during last spring, during the height of it, you know, I had, and my wife was, you know, teaching and we had, a, you know, she had Zoom sessions on and off during the day, two kids doing distance learning, we weren't doing full streaming, but then, you know, of course, you know, Hamilton comes on Disney Plus and we're like, all right, we got to get into the streaming game here considering we were late holdouts. So I was wondering how much, how much bandwidth does a household like mine really, how much stress is this, does someone even as a moderate user put onto a, a broadband network? You know, Ray, I think we've come to think of broadband as, as more of a utility than a, a convenience or a nice to have. And, you know, in fact, as we sit here um, conducting this podcast, we're consuming bandwidth. A couple of high definition streams, you know, encoded with MPEG-4 encoding, we're, we're probably chewing up between 10 and 12 megabits per second, you know, across the internet today, uh, executing the recording of, of this podcast. And so you multiply that by the number of people sitting in your house home, you know, doing, excuse me, household, doing distance learning, um, whether they're transmitting and receiving or just receiving video content, and suddenly, you know, multiplied by all of the homes in your neighborhood, by all of the neighborhoods in your town, by all of the towns in your state, um, you start talking about serious amounts of traffic that that service provider networks just have never seen before. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So, you know, for example, um, a lot of the service provider networks in the U.S. have just started rolling out, you know, remote fi, you know, MSOs and the, you know, telcos doing either VDSL too, or maybe they're doing GPON to the home, uh, or just good old-fashioned ADSL. Who knows what else might be out there? So, you know, what are those service providers? What are they having to do to mean keep up with all this demand? Yeah, I think you know we have to look at each of those mediums individually. Um, and the challenges that occur kind of at that access layer of the network. So, you know, the providers that have deployed PON technologies, so passive optical networks, whether it's uh, GPON or XGS 10 gig uh, based PON or 10 gig EPON, they're probably in the least painful situation for the pandemic and the explosion of consumption um, in, in comparison to other, you know, access medium technologies. So, by nature, you have a symmetrical or close to symmetrical connection for the end user. You've got a much broader upstream path in GPON. Um, you know, you've got a, a 1.25 gigabits in the upstream at a minimum, um, all the way up to 10 gig for, for, for larger PON solutions. And you know, these types of, of video conferencing technologies uh, are just as taxing on the upstream connection as they are on the downstream. And so when you look at other access mediums like DOCSIS, where you have a tremendously robust downstream capable of, of four, five, six, seven, eight gigabits per second, but then a very limited upstream that might be only capable of 100 to 200 megabits per second. 
um, in a serving group of some number of homes sharing that, you know, that aggregate bandwidth available. Um, you know, DOCSIS networks, for instance, might, might have a little more stress in the upstream. And, and DSL, I think, you know, whether it's, it's VDSL or ADSL2, ADSL2+, HDSL, there's, I think, every letter of the alphabet version of DSL now. Um, and, and, and almost all of them coexist across, you know, telecommunication networks. Um, at the end of the day, you know, those have more limited upstream capabilities, but they're dedicated limited upstream capabilities. So each home has a finite amount of bandwidth available on its twisted pair or bonded twisted pair solution. So the, the bandwidth constraint for DSL comes from the DSLAM or the access concentrator northbound into the, into the metro or regional network. And yeah. uh, each of these has a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you hit the nail there. So the, regardless of your medium, right, you, you get back to that concentration point, you, you get to a bottleneck, right? Either you hit a, a router somewhere, right, that um, a switch somewhere, right, that you need to upgrade somewhere beyond the access network. Um, you know, what types of pipes are service providers having to get to those bottlenecks right now? What are the sizes? Sure. So we, we know through our, you know, SP customers that that some of those smaller and older aggregate networks are gigabit or multi-gigabit uh, bonded networks. So some of these DSLAMs and older DSL technologies, um, service providers are still very much dealing with one gigabit uh, access layer connections. Um, when you talk about, you know, cable modem terminating systems or CMTS, the, the DOCSIS side of, of cable, you know, the vast majority of those were, were probably 10 gig uh, going into this year and service providers find themselves either on a path to upgrade to multiple 10 gigs based on their network infrastructure or upgrading from multiple 10 gigs to, to single or multiple 100 gig interfaces as these CMTSs have become more dense and DOCSIS 3.1 and OFDM gives them that very robust downstream capability. Um, and PON, I think I think you've got a mixed bag of 10 and 100 gig, depending on the, the, the life cycle of the OLT that the service provider is using. But in, in each case, I think 10 and 100 gig are the prevailing upstream connections from these access layers with some legacy one gig floating around. Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting because, you know, you've got the, you, know, you hear a lot at SCTE last year, the buzz on the show floor was, you know, 10 gig, right? into the access layer towards the home, a long way away from that. But just, you know, this might be a mini trial want run, right? To see exactly how much work needs to be done in the, you know, in the um, aggregation part of the network up towards the core of how much bandwidth they're really gonna need because if you give consumers bandwidth, they're gonna use it, right? That's pretty obvious right now. I mean, they're not gonna go, it's not gonna go unused for the most part is what we're finding. You know, the, the good news is service providers have had a couple of years of video streaming under their belts to get ready for, for this pandemic event. So, you know, at the end of the day, there's only so many eyeballs in your household. And those eyeballs are either watching TV or they're watching some kind of video conferencing right now, whether it's work or school. Um, unless you've got a TV playing in the background with no eyeballs watching it, it's unlikely that you've got any new duplicative bandwidth happening in your home. Um, so the SPs have had some time to kind of prepare for the events of today. What, what I think is not happening anymore is the, 
the lack of duplication of, of consumption. So in traditional service provider networks, you have a daytime bell curve that, that, that has a huge consumption during the day. And then you've got a nighttime bell curve of residential traffic that peaks, you know, sometime between the hours of like seven and midnight. And so all of a sudden now you've got everybody at home and you don't have that same access and, and metro breakdown of business and residential traffic you once had. It's, it's all going to the residents. And so that's probably the stress point. Right. And I think, you know, touching on those stress points and you know, when the pandemic hit, you know, back in March, right, when it became real for everybody, you know, one of the big things was where we feel it in all of other points of our life, you know, right now, you know, you know, why can I only get like my 16 year old, why can I only get two flavors of Mountain Dew? Why can I get 10 flavors of Mountain Dew? It's supply chain, right? And, you know, service providers are, are feeling it too. And um, in terms of, I need to upgrade that my CMTS from, I need to add another 10 gig connection. I need to upgrade to hundred gigs. So, you know, one thing that, you know, here at, you know, ProLabs, one thing we've done, tried to show our value is in terms of, you know, being a true supply chain partner in procuring, you know, making sure we have continuous supply for our customers. So, I mean, how important is that to service providers, John, in terms of, you know, having a, a partner that can really step up to the plate? You know, gosh, I, I think supply chain is a, is a problem everywhere. So in my household, it was the lack of extra flaming hot Cheetos. Um, <laughs> they simply shut down the manufacturing and, and that was a, a widespread crisis among my, my home. I, I think, you know, as a culture, we are inundated with choices and selections. So uh, everybody remembers the great toilet paper shortage of March 2020. And if you look back pre-pandemic, we had 30, no less than 30 choices of toilet paper to buy. And come end of March 2020, I think any of us would have bought any brand we could find on the shelf um, out of sheer desperation and, and need. And as, as we've recovered from the pandemic or starting to recover, um, you know, there's a lot of talk that some of these choices won't come back. So fast food restaurants are cutting their menu, cut their menus back for, for the pandemic and, and have now said, hey, some of these cuts may be permanent. It's, it's better for our operations, more efficient. Uh, it turns out we didn't need 60 types of cheeseburgers at McDonald's. Um, those types of things. We don't need 30 brands of toilet paper. Maybe we only need two brands of Mountain Dew. I don't two flavors of Mountain Dew. But, you know, what, what can't happen in technology supply chain is sheer unavailability of core technology pieces. So, you know, ProLabs positions itself really well with domestic inventory, uh, both in the United States and the United Kingdom. Um, to serve, you know, North and South American customers, as well as, you know, our EMEA customers, the taking a very firm and, and, and calculated inventory stance on these parts helped us continue delivering uh, through the pandemic to our service provider partners. Um, they don't often have the choice of, of changing or mixing technologies. They, they have an install base that they must conform to. And so I think as we work with, you know, with, with our, our, customers and our distribution partners. We certainly know what the trend lines look like. We know what purchasing uh, rhythms look like from service providers. And as we saw the pandemic coming, I think we were able to execute on our very diverse supply chain that, that includes quite a few nations globally 
um, to ensure our inventory position uh, was healthy and that we continued shipping without interruption. And um, in fact, you know, we were able to keep some of these tier one service providers, tier two service providers alive and well and healthy, you know, throughout the pandemic. Yeah, you know, th that was the thing, you know, it was just quite amazing to, to kind of, as we're powering through this to, to understand how, how important that is, right, to keep on and, and not have to worry about, you know, things running out for our customers, right? We were able to keep on pumping out transceivers, you know, with, you know, with minimal, you know, minimal concern there that we could continue doing it so that, that, um, you know, I think that was pretty gratifying us as, as employees helping out our service provider customers who are fulfilling very important obligations in our country right now, in our society. So, you know, I think the, the size of, of our company, the fact that we're the largest compatible transceiver vendor, you know, on the planet allowed us to continue seamless operations. So we had the, you know, the physical real estate to execute safe social distancing in our production factory very, very quickly. Um, we were able to spin up additional shifts and and have the safety mechanisms in place to keep production moving, which was you know absolutely critical as an essential business. And uh, you know to your point, I, I'm proud to be part of that team. Um, we we continue to operate under those safety uh, and distancing mechanisms with with great care. Yeah, absolutely. I know you know you mentioned about things going away you know for the pandemic and. But there's some new things, right, that are part of are going to be part of our life as we move on, right? You know, having Zoom meetings um, or other meetings, you know, with with instead of meeting, meeting in person, and we find out, hey, you know what, that works pretty well. You know, why why don't we just do that for some things and and other things? You know, we can't wait to get back and, and meet with people. But as far as service providers in, in their network, you know, what are some of the new trends that are going to come out of this pandemic that you know are going to be things that they're going to need to do move forward? We talk about the core a lot. We 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 focused on building the layers of the network from the home, centralizing it. So what things, what direction are service providers going to really go forward with here from this pandemic, understanding um, what they know now? Sure. I, I think there's, you know, this pandemic and the response with, with video consumption, candidly, and, and distance learning and uh, distance meeting um, is preparing the service providers for what was an inevitable increase anyway. So we know that 8K video streaming is coming. We know that self-driving cars and artificial intelligence continues to, to boom and blossom and that technology continues to mature. Um, you know, almost everyone has some type of artificial you know, intelligence in their home, whether it's an Alexa enabled device or Apple's HomeKit or Google Home and, and a, at least half a dozen others that are, that are prevalent in the marketplace. All of those things are consuming more and more bandwidth. So I think the, the pandemic helped the service providers prepare for what was inevitable anyway. And maybe it accelerated you know, some of those upgrades and, and decisions. Um, you know, the fact is, if, if, if we could have predicted this pandemic three or four years ago, service providers probably would have built different networks. Um, hindsight is always 2020. But I think what we've seen across the service provider industry, whether it was the DSL provider or the DOCSIS cable provider or the PON provider, each of them have executed, has, have developed and executed a, a plan of attack, whether it's serving group um, splitting and serving group uh, segmentation or uh, technology upgrades in DSL or pushing that DSLAM closer, closer to the customer 
Um, you know, serving group splitting is, or pawn splitting is just as relevant in the pawn world. I think the SPs are, are really keen on watching those trends. They've, they've faced this issue before, you know, peer-to-peer sharing killed service provider networks years ago. And then Netflix came along and killed service provider networks. And then 4,000 other streaming services came along and killed service provider networks. You know, having come from that background, I can tell you, um, they've got some amazing engineering folks and they've got people looking at these technologies every day, day in and day out, uh, preparing themselves for, for what looks next. This might not have been one anybody predicted, but there were plenty of other drivers that had them looking forward into their networks anyway. Yeah, that's a, an excellent question. So, you know, unfortunately, you know, there's no real end in sight of the pandemic and at least as of today, right? Um, what, um, what, what we look at the, what they're gonna need to do for the core. I mean, is 400 gig gonna happen? this year, John, or is it going to be something that's going to be delayed next year to help kind of be that final choke point release for sure. everything we're seeing? You know, I, I think that's a mixed bag depending on what layer of the network we're referring to and who the provider is. So the pandemic has, has stressed service provider resources, not just in terms of, of having to learn to work from home themselves, where customer service centers are are no longer staffed with hundreds or thousands of agents, but all the way to engineering resources and lab qualification. So those 400 gig platforms were just becoming market prevalent at the early part of this year. So depending on when they made it into the service providers labs for integration and qualification, um, and when those labs may have closed or been frozen because of pandemic risk, um, 400 gig may not make it to the service provider networks in large volume this year. Now, now that's not to say there won't be any, but if you were a service provider who needed to add bandwidth quickly um, to an existing platform, it might be easier just to go add more 10 or 100 gig interfaces um, and forego the 400 gig push uh, because of the complexities around getting new equipment qualified, getting it deployed, getting people out in the field to get these new platforms installed. Um, so we're certainly seeing some uptick in 400 gig uh, sales in terms of transceivers. Lots of companies are qualifying 400 gig right now, but I can't say that um, it's a super high volume ship item right now. I think 100 gig has certainly uh, exploded in the last six months. Absolutely, you know, where we're, I think the 400 gig you know, is really where it started, right? And it's continued to build is actually in the cloud service providers who are actually the back end for all this fun stuff we're dealing right now in the, with the video conferencing and all the hosted applications. I mean, those are the guys who are the, in the gals and the other folks who are really gonna, we're really making 400 gig happen right now in the market and um, yeah. Yep. I, I think we're gonna see 400 gig. I'm really proud that, that we have a full complement and catalog of 400 gig solutions. Um, you know, as a compatible transceiver supplier, I, I can say we're ready. We're supplying in, in you know, test to dozens and dozens of service provider and data center customers. Um, I, I expect towards the end of this year and into the capital spending season of next year, we'll see a significant uptick in 400 gig. Um, volume um and you know right now we we have products ready and waiting excellent 
Ray, I, you know, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on kind of what comes after 400 gigs. So I know we, yeah. we talk about 800 and, and, and the next generation, you know, we've, we've, we've always seen this, this adoption and then plateau and then a new adoption. What are your thoughts on what's beyond 400 gig? Well, you know, the first thing that's on deck is 800 gig. And there's been some consternation in the industry. What's it going to look like? Is it going to be transceivers? Is it going to be chip on board? And I think every time there's a, you know, a new data rate, oh, it's going to be chip on board, you know, and, you know, and then all of a sudden, well, you know, that, that doesn't fit real well for everybody's market because, you know, you can't, you can't have a board and then just have it be limited to short reach or long reach, whatever you're going to do. So really transceivers are, guess what? 800 gig is going to be going to have transceivers, you know, it's going to happen. And so they'll be looking at new things like the OSFP form factor. Um, CFP2 actually may actually hang around and be part of the 800 gig revolution. So uh, there'll be some big things coming out. I think, you know, what we're hearing in the industry is, you know, it was going to be in, you know, 21 that you'd start to really get talk about it and you know it might be pushed out to 22 i think before you really see because it because of pandemic you think yeah you know the whole cycle you just talked about with 400 gig it's gonna be the same cycle where it's just you know i think 400 gig isn't even a thing yet for the most part in a lot of networks and 800 gig you know is going to be certain networks right are going to need it and they're going to need it soon not, not they wish we were here today but, uh, you know, again, like everything, silicon has to be formed, standards have to be created, and, you know, the OEMs have to build their, their you know, board designs around a, around a technology. So, probably looking at 22 before that really takes off or, or starts to become deployed. Hey, Ray, thank you. Yeah. Well, folks, that's going to do it for this episode. I want to thank you for listening in. Please follow us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on and also subscribe to the ProLabs YouTube channel if you want to watch the video version of this podcast instead. Yeah, for any questions about ProLabs or any of our products and solutions, please visit our website at prolabs.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you at the next episode.